0: Hey there, if you like true crime stories and you love being in the great outdoors, you have come to the right place. I'm Tara, your host. Welcome to Crime Off The Grid, Ranger Tales Edition. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Crime Off The Grid podcast. I'm Tara, and thanks everybody for listening. I've received some questions from listeners, and I've been getting kind of the same questions sent to the Crime Off the Grid inbox for from more than one person, so I thought I would address it here on this episode. So Ed, Mallory, and John C. <laughs> have asked why I go into depth about the background of some of my guests, but some I barely say where they've worked at all or anything else. And first of all, All of our guests do have experience, years of experience in law enforcement and victim assistance and investigations in wild places such as National Park Service and Forest Service. And so far, those are the only areas we've been talking about with our cases, but some guests, including future guests, are still employed and they're with an agency, generally a land management agency, and I just want to make sure that there's no mistaking them of representing the agency that they still work for. And they none of them are discussing any cases that they have personal experience with or any firsthand knowledge. So they're not sharing any inside information or anything like that, that they could have just gotten from their own work sources just to make sure everything's above board there. But their knowledge and experience makes them really good uh, at being co-hosts and being able to intellectually comment about a case that Maybe I was wanting to cover and doing the research on myself. So hopefully that makes sense. So keep your questions and comments coming and you can send them to crimeoffthegrid at gmail.com. All right. So today we're going to change gears a little bit from talking about crimes against people. And instead, we're going to talk about crimes against the protected resources of our wild places. And to help do that today is Ranger Russ Miller. Hi, Russ.
1: Hello. Glad to be here.
0: (laughs) Welcome. Well, Russ has 36 years of experience in the National Park Service as a law enforcement ranger starting in 1976. Did I get that right?
1: That's correct. Uh, Yeah, I started uh, my career at Glacier National Park. I was there for 11 years. Uh, From Glacier, I I spent uh, just uh, one season at uh, Bandelier National Monument in New Mexico. Then I went to Padre Island National Seashore in Texas, and from there I went to Glen Canyon National Recreation Area in, on Lake Powell in Utah, and, and then I finished up my career with 14 years at Yellowstone, where I had
0: the awesome.
1: many fine rangers such yeah. as yourself.
0: <laughs> Although, it seems like I've talked to some mammoth rangers here on, the, on this show, which is Kind of far, like I think when when uh, you and I were working at the same time, I was way down in Grant Village, which is...
1: That's true. We've yeah. seldom actually crossed paths. Right, right.
0: Mostly a training. So, right. well, Russ contacted me with a great case and really a very good subject to talk about. And that's the poaching of shed antlers that goes on in the National Park Service. And specifically, today's case takes place in and around Yellowstone National Park.
1: Well, it's it's <laughs> good to point out that you didn't have to do a trigger warning on this episode. There's there's no body count and there's right nobody, nobody swimming in latrines. So,
0: oh, uh, right. <laughs> <Aww>, you listened. <laughs> so, so
1: no trigger warnings.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: But, well, some listeners might not be aware that uh, elk. And other deer species grow their antlers each year. And then in the winter, those antlers fall off and they start growing new antlers. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: That's not the case with other animals uh, like bighorn sheep and bison and things like that. But with the elk, that's a constant cycle of growing new antlers and dropping them off.
0: Right, uh, right. And the National Park Service has a mission, which is to preserve unimpaired the natural and cultural resources and values of the national park system for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of this and future generations, which is why we're, we're talking about this today.
1: Right. Yeah. The Everything in a national park service area is protected and supposed to remain in place and undisturbed. That's not necessarily the case in other areas like in right. national forests, um, right. private lands and things like that. Uh, people right. do uh, collect
0: antlers. Yeah. My advice, though, would be even in the Forest Service and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service areas or private land that you definitely know what the regulations are before you go. Absolutely. There really are just a few places on Earth where nature is, in theory, left unimpaired and preserved, and not all land management agencies have that same mission like we were just talking about. And the Forest Service is more multi-use agency, and they lie within the Department of Agriculture. So they don't have the same regulations with regard to removing natural resources like the NPS does, just like, like Russ was just talking about. So with the Forest Service, I kind of think hunting, even though hunting's a lot in some national parks, but timber harvesting, mushroom collecting, huckleberry picking, mountain biking... Taking your dog on the trail. (laughs) And I'm saying all these things because that's stuff I like to do. So I tend to recreate more in uh, U.S. forest areas. Um, When it comes to hunting shed antlers, definitely you cannot do that in a national park.
1: That's right. However, uh, lots of people do come into the park and hunt antlers. Absolutely. And it's because there's a market for them.
0: Right. It's pretty lucrative.
1: Yeah. People will come in and um, try to find the antlers and uh, remove them from the park. And and antlers are used uh, for many different purposes. Mm -hmm. Craftsmen will create furniture, chandeliers. uh, They'll use them in knife handles and lots of other crafted items. uh, Yeah,
0: dog um, treats.
1: Right, yeah. And um, they... uh, are also ground up and uh, believed by some to have uh, medicinal properties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so there's a market in that in that respect as well.
0: Yes, yeah, so, even aphrodisiacs apparently.
1: Right. Yeah there there <laughs> there was a, a, a big demand in, in that respect. But then when Viagra and some of the other drugs came out that actually did have those properties, then uh, the, the, then I think that side of the antler trade uh, dropped off a little bit.
0: Right, right. You know, you cannot go into a furniture store anywhere in the greater Yellowstone area or probably anywhere in the Rocky Mountain West and not see something, some kind of decor made out of antlers.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: Well, I looked up um, what the going rate is for antlers, for specifically elk. And for, I think it was the year 2023 was the last Thing that I saw as far as the rate was. Do you did you look that up? Do you happen to know how much per I pound?
1: One source I didn't really write down, but it, it was pretty. I think it was like uh, upwards of fifteen dollars a pound.
0: Yeah. Well, what I found was for what they call grade A elk antlers, it sells for it can sell for sixteen dollars and seventy five cents a pound, and then yeah. grade B, which sells for $11.20 a pound. And then there's grade C, $5 per per pound. And I'm assuming that's just the condition of the antler. Like, did it, is it a fresh shed? Did it just fall off the spring versus been sitting in the elements for two years, I guess.
1: Right. If they've been sitting out in the sun, they're all bleached out. And so that lowers their value quite a bit yeah Yeah.
0: over the seasons and the winters and well every spring thousands of elk wintering on the national elk refuge in jackson if you've heard of that place uh in jackson wyoming they lose their antlers before they migrate back to their summer range as do all you know that's the time that um elk do lose their antlers but the refuge uh, is there to protect critically important habitat for numerous iconic species including the elk um, also bison wolves, trumpeter swans, bald eagles, bighorn sheep, cutthroat trout. And so it's a, it's a beautiful refuge, uh, managed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And in late April each year, I don't know if you knew this or us, but the Jackson Hole Boy Scouts assist the U.S. Fish and Wildlife with harvesting shed antlers. And yeah, it's over 25,000 acres in the refuge looking for the elk racks. They'll then. Auction them off to bidders during the Jackson Hole Elk Fest on the town square. And if you haven't been to the Jackson Hole town square, you can look up the webcam uh, and you'll see the arches on the town square are all made of elk antlers, and I, which I guess that's an iconic spot in the town of Jackson, anyway. So, again, it is legal in the refuge there to collect shed antlers, as in some other U.S. Forest Service and wildlife, fish and wildlife areas, but you do need to know the regs and seasons before in season before you go just to make sure
1: yeah then, that's right and that would also be a good venue for for people who had antlers that they had collected elsewhere to uh to to go to to oh right also yeah all yeah antlers.
0: yeah but why can't you collect antlers in the national parks
1: well the the parks were established to protect all the resources Within the park, in as close to a natural state as possible, while still allowing people to come in and enjoy the area. And part of that is to be able to come in and, and look out across a meadow and and see a, a an old elk antler sticking up out of the grass and, and enjoy right. seeing that natural setting and and uh, not having those things being removed by folks.
0: Right, and. And collecting even the fallen antlers have like a significant negative impact on wild animals. So, you know, the act of people um, foraging around in their habitat puts them at risk of increased stress. And the purpose of having a regulation against that is to reduce stress on the wintering big game animals during the time of the year. When animals like the deer and the elk, pronghorn and moose are, quote, most vulnerable, as they say. and um, that stress can also result in decreasing their body condition, increasing their mortality, decreasing their fawns and calves survival. And if you think about if these animals actually survive the winter, that they have very little nutrients and nutrition to kind of help get them along into spring. And we don't want to continue to stress them. And antlers are rich in calcium and phosphorus. This is what I was always told when I was, Um, out doing what we called horn hunting patrol but you know so the small amounts of magnesium sodium and other minerals and in the wild small mamm small mammals such as little squirrels will often gnaw on the shed antlers and especially the surrounding soil and the habitat is depleted of essential minerals and nutrients then then that helps keep them uh healthy as well
1: yep it's all that whole circle of life thing that
0: uh (laughs) right exactly and then that feeds, yeah, that feeds the owls and the birds of prey. And, you know, as you said, Circle of Life, it goes on Makuna Matata.
1: <laughs> but every every spring when the snow starts to melt and, and people can creep around in the backcountry, uh, we would get horn hunters, as we called them. Yeah. The antlers aren't actually horns.
0: but Correct.
1: Yeah. Horn hunters would show up and start looking for antlers in the park with the with the intention of removing them and uh, selling them, and, right? Uh, so right. It's it's pretty easy to sneak around in the wilderness in Yellowstone and not be seen and right. uh, to do the actual collecting. But the problem really comes for the horn hunters when it's when it's time to um, get them loaded up and and remove them from the park, and uh, so. Often uh, they will get dropped off Mm -hmm. by somebody else and uh, spend the day out in the wilderness collecting horns and return close to the roads. And then at night uh, when there's not as much activity, someone will come back and pick them up in their antlers and off they go. Or they might just uh, cache them near, near a roadway somewhere in a hidden location and come back for them at a later time.
0: I was actually reading an article yesterday when I was preparing for doing this episode, and there's a fellow that was in the Bridger Teton wilderness and who was also in the refuge, the elk refuge outside of Jackson, which has a season for antler collecting. So, what he did was before the season, before anybody else was legally out there looking for their antlers, he cached several antlers that he found and then buried them in the ground oh, yeah. so the, um, yeah. yeah so then it, the day that it was legal he went out there and lo and behold he's got all these antlers that he supposedly just found that day
1: there's always a way around things isn't right there?
0: yeah
1: elk antlers are, are are big items it's not like you can just stick one in your pack and walk out with them they, they they're sometimes four or five foot uh, long and right and weigh 10 to 20 pounds a piece so right they're they're a big item, you yeah. uh, know. When you're when you're talking about what you were saying, fifteen, sixteen dollars a pound. Even a smaller antler at 10, 10, 10 pounds. That's that's a lot of money, right there. Yeah, just in a, that's in a lot antlers. of
0: money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some unscrupulous antler hunters will go to extremes to get what they want. Like they there have also been reports of elk being chased among trees, where piano wire has been strung to knock off antlers, and then they'll attempt to shoot the antlers free. So oh, I have not heard of that specifically in Yellowstone, but I did read where that had occurred and I started to get a little amped up about that there. So,
1: so we rangers, uh, you know, we would occasionally catch people uh, out and about uh, collecting antlers, but we also wanted to do something that was a little more proactive. Mm-hmm. And so we, we came up with this program using some technology to help tip the scales in our favor. Mm-hmm. Lots of folks are familiar with wildlife tracking. They put a radio collar on an animal, and then they can use a receiver to point a directional antenna and, right. and find, find where the animal is and things like that. Well, we want to do the same thing with an elk antler. And uh, you can't hang a radio collar on an elk antler and expect anybody to pick it up. Right. But we... We got a transmitter that uh, we were able to implant into the antler itself. We would drill a hole at, at the, the base of the antler, and which is the longest, straightest part of the antler, and we would drill a hole in there and implant our transmitter, which was about twice the size of a AA
0: um, yeah. battery.
1: So we'd, we'd drill out the hole, glue the transmitter in there, and then we'd make a paste of uh, the shavings that were created when we drilled the hole and uh, glue and we'd fill back in texture it so that you you really couldn't tell that uh, anything had been done to the antler and now we had an antler that was transmitting a signal we also had some uh, uv markers uh, that uh, ultraviolet markers that we would uh right on the antler with, uh, to to identify them as property of NPS and National Park Service. And, um, that, that could be seen under ultraviolet light, but was invisible otherwise. And so now, so now we had something that we could actually track if it was moving, but that didn't solve all of our problems. Mm -hmm. you You can't sit out there and listen to a radio tracking, um, antler for twenty four hours a day. Right. Days. And so we came up with a second part of the problem was um we um used a uh, device called a processor transmitter or PT hmm. unit. Oh yeah. And uh, the PT unit would when activated it would send out a signal over our, our park radio system and alert us to activity. And uh what we would do is we would uh, bury the PT unit out in an area where we thought people might be hunting for antlers, and we would have a pressure switch, a, a, a very small, tiny switch which you couldn't really see, but the antler would be sitting on the pressure switch so that when it was lifted up, it would uh, then activate the PT unit, and we'd get the notification that our our uh, antler was in play, and so we were then able... our Our dispatch center would hear that um, radio signal and and alert us to the fact, and we would then be able to get out to the area and listen with uh, the radio receivers for the little telltale beep, beep, beep of our antler going by if it went by in a car, and then that would uh, establish reasonable suspicion on our part to to stop the car and further investigate. And so that uh, was the way we would we would handle that. And we, we made some good cases like that. We also, sometimes, though, um, the antlers wouldn't go straight into a car that day. They would be cached by the road. Mm-hmm. And, and and the uh, poachers would plan on coming back for them either later at night or the next day or something like that. And so since we were able to track the transmitter, we were able to find the cache in that case. And, and so... Once we had found the cache, we would uh, relocate our, our PT unit to the cache so that, again, when, the, when one of the antlers was lifted up off the pressure switch, then uh, we would get the signal again and know that the second part of the transport was underway and uh, get out and um, try to, uh, to make the contact. Right. So it uh, really worked out slick, and uh, we, we made a number of cases that way. One time, it was kind of funny that we, we weren't quite quick on the draw and the, and our antler and the other antlers in the cache got out of the park on us. And uh, we were a bit distressed about that because we lost a bunch of antlers plus our transmitter, we thought. But then, as it turned out, uh, during that same period of time, the wildlife researchers were doing overflights with airplanes in the area mm-hmm. following Wolves and elk and bison, the various different animals that they had radio collars on, and so we asked them to uh, also be listening for the frequency of our transmitter. And as luck would have it, they they did find it, and uh, it was it was now in the town of Bozeman because ah. they were flying out of the Bozeman Airport. Mm-hmm. And so wow. they picked it up as they were coming into the Bozeman Airport. And So. <laughs> That, that was funny they they weren't able to pinpoint it from the air, but they they told us what neighborhoods to look in, and so one of the rangers uh, from our area drove up there with the receiver and drove around town and located located the uh, signal coming from a, a business and it was a business that bought antlers. And uh, so we were able to uh, get a search warrant and, and go back up there and serve the warrant. And,
0: surprise! Uh,
1: <laughs> surprise, we're here. And, oh, look at all these antlers you've got with uh, UV paint on them. And, wow, uh,
0: yep. One of them
1: with a, with a transmitter. So uh, we were uh, able to uh, make a really good case there. The, the uh, business had bought them from somebody else, and they were able to tell us, right? Uh, they had bought them from, so we we made a really good case, on, right? now And uh, so so it was uh, a real interesting case because it involved the airplane and everything like that.
0: <laughs> a similar case on the west side of the park. Uh, I don't know if you're around, like you know, rangers have changed up their tactics, especially technology. Well, including technology, because as you said, you know, um, some of these people who are who are hunting for the sheds they get wise to some of our technology and they kind of start to look around and we've done everything and like you said the uv writing and then at one point there were these little teeny i can remember going out with the backcountry rangers on the west side and putting these little teeny um they're the size of a of a like a hole punch piece of paper and Mm. you know what i'm talking about and they had some type of, I don't even know what the technology was for it. I just was along for the ride. Yeah, we'll put some of these, stick some of these on the antlers. And then...
1: I wonder if those little tags were, you know, like the um, the little markers that come out of a taser. Taser. A taser.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I was trying to refer to. They were very similar and they had information on them. And yeah. I don't know how that technology worked, but they had information on those little tags.
1: Like a little micro dot or something. Yeah. Yes,
0: a micro dot. That big yeah technical term is what it was so a ranger went to a couple of different furniture stores or places where they make furniture or sell it or whatever and so they went around and were kind of inspecting some of those antlers and of course lo and behold several of them had those tags exactly and then of course. You know the the person who's making the furniture or selling the furniture. If they're not the one collecting the antlers, they're right. definitely going to give up the person who was collecting oh, the true. antlers.
1: Oh yeah, they got a legitimate business they're trying to run. They don't. Well want to, yeah, got and them, something like that. Yeah,
0: and some of the I guess the uh, you can have a fine. You could maybe spend a couple of nights in jail. And the the law or the statute for in our thirty six cfr, which is basically that's the. Code of federal regulation that contains the the codified like the signed into law stuff uh, that that is U.S. federal laws and regulations pertaining to national parks, forests, landmarks, monuments, or any federally controlled public property. So anyway, thirty six CFR two point one is the one dealing with the preservation of the natural, cultural, and archaeological resources. So you know, in that statute, and those are misdemeanors. Uh, anything that comes out of the 36 CFR is going to be a misdemeanor. But now that commercial piece to it, people who are, you know, if they have a certain number of pounds worth a certain amount of money for the purpose of selling it to a business, they're charging people with Lacey Act violations and they're doing that, that more and more.
1: Up quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it does. And that's potentially felony in more often, it's a it's a felony.
1: When when we made cases out of the area I worked from, Mammoth subdistrict or district, if we caught somebody with just a single antler and we're, we were convinced that they just didn't know better, kind of thing, right. that, that, would,
0: just, that exactly. would just be a ticket, and that ticket. happens all the time.
1: And uh, you know, they 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 pay a fine by mail and, and stuff and, and go on their way. That that, that happens often. People right. people honestly don't know, mm-hmm. but if we if we made one of these cases where they had a whole cache of antlers and we were certain it was uh, it was a commercial enterprise, then yeah, then, uh, we we would actually arrest arrest the people. We'd impound their vehicle and confiscate all the tools of the trade that they used, like their their backpacks and their mm. their, their GPS units and walkie talkies and things like that that they would use as, for them. As, Tools of the crime, yeah, and and they would spend a night or two in the Yellowstone jail, and before they got to see the magistrate, and uh, they'd get uh, a, a good hefty fine, and plus there was a, a fine uh, per pound of antlers associated, right, and then they would get banned from the park for a period of years, and uh, so it uh, it carried a a, a big uh, penalty,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, that Lacey Act is pretty cool. It, it anybody that hunts anything ought to be very familiar with the Lacey Act and it was that act that was established back in 19 early 1900s or 1900 I think. Its purpose is to combat trafficking of illegal, illegally taken wildlife fish or plants or parts thereof including yeah. antlers, you know, and specifically Particularly if it's that commercial industry. So if you, it's meant to go from between states. So if you're in in a state and and it's state property, and you remove, you know, if you eat, illegally kill a deer, or if you remove an antler and you go to the next state, that's a Lacey act violation. If you're Richie in
1: Yellowstone, you almost have to do.
0: <laughs> exactly, you're not <laughs> because you're, you're in, in
1: Wyoming th- and a lot of it, and you end up going out into Montana or Idaho, and uh, right th- there you've across that state line right there right
0: but it also says anywhere on a federal reservation if you just right. physically remove it from that federal reservation including like tribal areas and things like that mm-hmm. that violates the the Lacey act mm-hmm. as well so anyway i'll put that code on our show notes in case somebody's a geek and wants to look that up so and if you're a hunter and you've never seen that maybe good time to get um reacquainted acquainted with it
1: yeah and uh, another thing i wanted to Point out is the information I'm talking about here today isn't isn't giving away any particular secrets. No, I've been retired for ten years now, so we were doing this many years ago, and this was before cell phones or even self yeah. coverage in the backcountry of of Yellowstone. Nowadays, there's you know trail cam cameras that can be used. There's cameras wing- everywhere. Way better technology nowadays for people mm-hmm. who are thinking about taking up the elk uh, horn hunting trade. There, there, there's way better technology now than than we had then, and so the chances of getting caught are are, are heightened now. And right, uh, and when we were doing it, we didn't mind that the word was getting out that we were using the the technology because it made everybody a little nervous. Yeah, uh,
0: you tried to have a deterrent at least. You know,
1: Th- that uh, maybe the antlers they were picking up uh, had uh, transmitters in them, and so maybe it wasn't worth it. So
0: exactly, we didn't
1: mind that the word got out that we were mm-hmm. using transmitters. Right.
0: Yeah. They didn't know necessarily where to look for them, though. So that was... Right. <laughs> well, talking about old school, one year in Yellowstone, and I think this was before you came to Yellowstone even, Russ, we had our annual law enforcement in-service training the whole week was about resource crimes. And we had this experienced U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officer who came and instructed us for the, the first couple of days. And then the last part of the week, we, we broke up into teams and went out into the backcountry for, you know, a horn hunting operation. And, well, it was the right time of year and the rest of the park roads were closed because they are typically closed um, while they're plowing for snow, plowing the snow to open for the spring. Anyway, I was on a team of five. The other four were dudes which, by the way, as an aside, my worst nightmare is having to be stuck in a backcountry cabin with a bunch of guys. And I was on this. I said, I have two rules. I was the only female. I said, I, nobody better snore, and I don't want to see anybody in their underwear. And they violated both of those rules. So, ugh. Um, I'm from the South, so that's I didn't want to see anybody in their underwear. do anyway. in the South. <laughs> no, well, the snoring, yes, <laughs> but I don't want to see anybody in their underwear. Uh, well, we were out, so we were out overnight, and then we were all dressed in camo during the day when we, we kind of staged in different points in the trees and on rock outcroppings with our binoculars. And then lo and behold, we saw three different dudes who were caching antlers in piles and we couldn't believe what we were seeing three different guys there's three they were just walking i mean it was you know it was in a really good shed antler rich environment and you probably know where i'm talking about but um here they were putting them in, in big piles and so we're all on the radio making a plan watching them tie them under their backpacks and so whoever was the lead uh, on our team, you know, this, you know, this is our plan, how they are going to approach them? And then they just took off running all of them in different directions. (laughs) So then then the chase was on. And I remember one of the Rangers running after this guy, you know, and they were running right past me. They kind of came up out of nowhere. I was on top of this little rock outcropping. And so I'm like, Oh, so I guess I'll go run too. And then (laughs) the guy runs under some tree branches or brush or something to hide, which this Ranger was right on his tail. And then he, He, you know, he gives up to the ranger chasing him down and and he, I thought he was going to cry. And so, ultimately, they were all arrested. We were able to catch all three of them. We had to get them hiked out, you know, while they were in custody and then get them back to the trailhead. And so, you know, we had to carry out their antlers. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We had to weigh them, carry them out. Oh, and so, and then somebody's—you know—we can't all have antlers on our back because somebody's got to make sure they're in control of the prisoners at this point. And and so, anyway, I had to tie probably the uh, the bulk of some. I probably had more antlers on my pack than anybody else. And it, it, guess how much my pack weighed, Russ?
1: Uh, I would. Bet uh, close to 70 pounds.
0: 90 pounds. It was 90, 90. pounds. I'm only five foot two. Oh, um, but I'm pretty sure that's why my back is so screwed up.
1: So, somebody probably mentioned, you know, we should have waited until they got out to the road with these before we arrested. Well,
0: I was thinking that too. As I was, <laughs> as I was thinking of this story, but they they still were charged and they still pled. And I was thinking that too. But, you no, know. No, I just meant from, yeah. from
1: the aspect of carrying.
0: Oh, yeah. The- oh yeah should have waited Ooh, we, to see, we should have had you there we weren't we weren't <laughs> thinking straight like I'm, yeah and i was like why am i carrying all these antlers why didn't we kind of cache them hide them and come back and get them like maybe all of us <laughs> come back and get them but but anyway worked out there was a it, it was a weird thing too i don't know why there was a uh, what do you call those crime magazines like like dateline in 48 hours there was a brand new one called Uh, what was it called anyway there was a brand new one of those you know crime magazine shows and they were there with cameras as we somehow somebody told them and they met us they met us at uh, a very popular location like where you would cross a river if you you probably understand and there there they were with their cameras and they're here we're all hiking out these prisoners and carrying antlers but anyway turns out that thing was canceled before it it even aired, which was okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay. I was surprised the Park Service uh, allowed them to do that. But
1: anyway. you know, it was it was a kind of a game of cat and mouse with the, with the people. Yes, and yes. and so you know, I I think we all in, enjoyed our side of it, trying to catch them, and they probably right. enjoyed their side of it, <laughs> trying to get away. With it.
0: And, probably uh, did too.
1: So I, I don't remember any particular violent ends. Uh, incidences that uh, ensued from those types situations but it certainly could happen right lots of them would be armed because they were creeping around in Mm -hmm. grizzly bear habitat in the spring when the bears were yeah in the at the same Mm -hmm. uh, areas Um, and so a lot of them would be armed but um, you know I'm Fortunate that we never had anything go violent on us in those kind of contexts,
0: right? Right, and now everybody's carrying again in the backcountry, and
1: that's true. um, Yeah,
0: yeah. So that's all we have for this episode. And remember, stay safe in wild places, and watch out for the company you keep. Thanks
1: for having me on. I enjoyed it, and uh, everybody, be safe out there. And if if you're thinking about taking up a life of crime, uh, don't do it in a in a national park.
0: Exactly. (laughs)